you. Man, it is uh, good to be with each and every single one of you. I am so thankful to be a part of a church with some ridiculously awesome people just like you. Let's just get it out of the way. This is another one of them shirts. Um, yeah, I know, I know. I know. Okay, I, listen, I wanted to wear another button down, but my wife was like, you need to let them know you got polos too, so... Get ready, because for the next nine times I'm preaching, it's going to be something new and sexy just like this. Now, a uh, couple of other things we got to get out of the way. Um, I lied to you last week. Uh, I didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional, uh, but it's the truth. I said, if you invite me over to your house and you want me to do a backflip in your backyard, I'd come over and do it, and I'd show you how beautiful it was. Kid you not, after church, someone invited me over to their house. They had a pool. They had a backyard with a diving board. And, uh, well, uh, this happened. These are my flamingo uh, trunks because my wife didn't like the ones I had, so we went with flamingos. This is me going, okay, are we sure we're doing this on camera? And, okay. Uh, now, that's not bad. But I said it was beautiful and I, had my, I would have my toes pointed, so let's slow it down. And what you'll notice is God did not give me the flexibility to do that and have my toes pointed because they're not pointed at all. Now, something uh, really bad happened after this. Uh, while we were there, uh, we're at this backyard. Guys, you know, got a daughter, and she's got a boyfriend, and boyfriend's there. <sighs> and uh, he's young and hip, and he's got his little uh, Baywatch shorty short uh, <laughs> swimmies on, and he's got a dark tan from being out in the summer sun, and his body doesn't burn. It just gets beautiful, and so he's bronze and chiseled and looking fantastic, and obviously I was wearing a shirt because I didn't, you know, want to show off all my man fur to everybody in the place, especially if we were going to show it to you guys. And he was doing all kinds of acrobatic things off the board, and my boys were watching, and I didn't want them to think that he was cooler than me, and so I decided to up my game. Um, and he was doing gainers. Now, for those of you who don't know how to do a gainer, and I'm just reciting this because I don't know how to do a gainer. Uh, it's you jump off the board forwards, and then you pull or form the backflip. And I asked him how to get that done, and we broke it down into steps, and I began breaking it down into steps. I went off the board so many times that day, I rubbed the skin off my left foot. I'm sitting there eating. I'm like, man, I'm, how did I burn the bottom of my foot? I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. And then I looked, and there was just there was no skin. And um, you don't want to do that. Uh, anyhow... I thought I had got to the point where I, could, I had mastered the gainer. This is my final attempt at the gainer. I want to show it to you just to see how faithful our God is. Um, that's the look of, okay, I think we got this. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> my back still hurts, okay? Uh, God will not let me get prideful. He'll just keep beating me down because if I'd have landed a gainer that day, I'd have been... I'd have been unapproachable, okay? I'd have been on cloud nine. But being in the water in the summer, it just brings back all kinds of memories and all kinds of fun games you used to play. How many of you grew up playing Marco Polo, still do? Yeah, that's a safe game, it's a great one. How many of you kind of went through a WWE phase in the pool where you just picked your friends up and choke slammed them? A lot of, uh, you know, almost drownings happened because of that. Uh, how many dads out there? Your shoulders have just finally recovered from last summer being pool dad, where it seems like as soon as you get in the water with your kids, they cannot help but put every nail into your shoulders. 
And then what they want you to do, no matter how big and heavy they've gotten, they want you to keep throwing them. Because in their mind, they remember being like the three-year-old life vest version of themselves in the water. And now, you know, they're drinking and smoking and still wanting you to like throw them up. <laughs> I can't do it, kid. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, and when I was growing up, though, the all-time favorite game for us was Sharks and Minnows. I don't know if this is just a me thing. How many of you guys played Sharks and Minnows? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, the rest of you, Amish? Uh, <laughs> all right, well, I'll explain it to you. I don't know what it was called in your neck of the woods, but you'd go to the community pool, you'd get, go to the deep end, and on one side of the deep end, you'd just have one person who was gonna be the shark, and on everybody else on the other side, they'd all be the minnows, and then they would say uh, sharks in the water, and then the shark would basically swim across, and you'd play tag, and the minnows had to get from that side to the other side without getting tagged. And you'd just do this back and forth until once you tagged somebody, they became a shark, and then they became a shark until you had all sharks and just one minnow, and then the game started all over again, and whoever won became the shark. And there were a bunch of different people, uh, strategies when it came to sharks and minnows. There was the deep diver. You jumped into the water, went all the way to the bottom, you like hugged your skin on the very bottom, you know, lost some skin to the drain, and came up the other side, nobody ever tagged you. There uh, were the people who were like the last minute deck diver. They waited till the shark got almost to the edge of the pool and they dove over the top of them and swam to the other side. There was the pretend like I'm not playing uh, and cheat by going into the shallow end and then coming up on the other side and be like, oh, I guess I am playing, you didn't get me. And you know who you are. You're running for office somewhere. And then, and then, I, I, I should stop. Okay, I'm on fire. And, uh, and I don't think it's safe to come to this church anymore. And uh, anyhow, there are a lot of moving parts to the game. But do you know the very best strategy to win at Sharks and Minnows is to get everybody to go at the exact same time? Because in about three seconds is all it takes for you to get from one side of the pool to the other. The shark wasn't going to have the opportunity to get everybody. He might only be able to get one person at a time. With all the splashing and all the moving people, it just limits their ability to actually attack. There's an African proverb that actually speaks to this. This is what it says. Cross the river in a crowd, and the crocodile won't eat you. Today's message is crossing crocodiles. And I want to welcome all of you joining online, inside, at our various locations. I want to do a special shout out to those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Every single week, people come to our church for the very first time, and they hear about Jesus, and they get an opportunity to be a part of this community. We want you to know we're so excited you're here, and we don't take the time that you're spending with us for granted. And our hope is that you will find what we found in Jesus Christ, which is an intimate, personal relationship. And we are in a sermon series called Chasing Shades. We previewed it on Easter weekend, and we've been kind of uh, taking a look at who God is and how this life is supposed to look in light of who he is. Because a lot of people have a bad take on God or Jesus. And on Easter weekend, I, I, I walked you guys through this verse, and I want to kind of remind you, for those of you who you know, have fallen asleep since then, in John chapter 10, verse 10, this is what Jesus says. The thief, this is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, this is Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If what Jesus has to offer is life to the full, if it is the best life, the most fulfilling life, the most, 
meaningful life, then whatever we are chasing that is not him is simply a shade. As a church, we want you to experience all that Jesus has to offer. We want you to find all the love, all the mercy, all the grace, all the forgiveness, all the meaning, all the purpose, all the significance that he has in store for you. However, you will never find it if you keep chasing shades. You will only find it if you chase Jesus. And for this entire sermon series, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by King Solomon. He was a real person. He was the king of Israel. He is as real as Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. And outside of Jesus, he was the wisest person to ever walk the earth, and he is the richest person of all time, which means he had all of the resources to explore and understand all that this life has to offer. And in chapter four, he turns his attention to community and the enemies of it and the blessings of it. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one through three. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. He looks out and he sees all of the oppression and adversity in the world and he's looking at all the people who are suffering and he goes, and on top of all of that, they're having to face the struggles by themselves. They have no comforter. They have no advocate. There is evil in this world. It is either uh, hitting you now or it is coming for you later, and when it happens, you better not find yourself alone. He sees the pain, and he goes, it would be better off for me to be dead than alive so I don't have to see the suffering anymore. And then in the midst of his despair, he goes a step further. It would be better to, be never ha- or to have never been born so that way you don't have to see it and you have nothing to remember. He wants to gouge out his eyes. He wants to purge his mind. He is tired of seeing the suffering and he is tired of seeing people suffering alone. He despairs by saying the dead are better off and the not born are better off than the living. In the last two years, or for if you want, take the last two weeks, we get it. You cannot look anywhere without seeing pain or suffering. I feel sometimes like I can't pick up the phone without hearing a heartbreaking, tragic story. But this world is broken because sin entered the world. And that's what sin does, it destroys. That's what Satan does. He steals and he kills and he destroys. And so sin comes into the world and it starts to tear away. It robs. And every single one of us, we've participated in it because sin never gives you the price tag. The flirtation, uh, the, the flirting in the office, oh, that was free. The affair was dinner and drinks at a Red Lobster in a hotel. Oh, but the divorce cost your wife a broken heart. 
It costs you half your net worth. It costs your kids having a father and a mother in the home, and now they only see you every other weekend. Uh, the flirting was free, but everything else costs you more than you could ever imagine. And every single one of us have contributed in some way, shape, or form to the pain and the suffering of this world. And that is why we are so in love with Jesus. Because not only has he forgiven us, but he's given us the strength to forgive. Not only has he loved us, but he has given us the strength to love. Not only has he given us the promise to one day make this world a, a, a better place in light of the beauty of heaven, but he has given this, us tools to make this life here on earth look a little bit more heavenly. Even though this world is dark, he has given us a light to make this world a little more bright. But one of the pains that Solomon is looking at is he sees the pain behind the pain. It is the loneliness of those who are suffering because there is no one to comfort them. And I don't want any of you at any of our locations or online or inside to play this down. You were not made to live life alone. Furthermore, you were not meant to live this life with just God and Jesus. You were made for community. I want us to explore this thought. You will never grow to your fullest potential in Jesus or live the full life that God desires for you outside of community. You will never be all that God or all that Jesus intended you to be outside of community. And you will never experience all the good things that God has in store for you outside of community. And so Solomon starts talking about the enemies of community. And the first one he brings up is in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. And I saw that all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. One of the enemies to community is envy. You don't want to be in relationship with them because you're so envious of all the things that they have. Take the person that you're the most envious of, and I'm willing to wager that that relationship is under strain. You can't rejoice for them when they have a success because you're frustrated by how good they have it. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is being able to rejoice with those who rejoice. But oftentimes, you know what we do? We get frustrated at those who are rejoicing. We can't let them celebrate their touchdown because we had a dropped ball in our life. You, you can't hang out with them because their marriage is great and your marriage uh, is struggling. Uh, it's hard for you to hang out with them because their kids are doing great in school and your kids aren't. It's hard to hang out with them because they got a new car and your car is a hoopty. You, you're having a hard time being in relationship with them because every time you interact with them, you're just so envious of what they have and it creates these barriers. It's for you, it's maybe deeper than that. Maybe it's more personal than that. You can't celebrate with your friends who finally got the news that they're pregnant because you're still wrestling with infertility. And so you distance yourself even further. Envy puts up a barrier between you and people, but it also puts up a barrier between you and God because you keep getting so mad at God for giving them things that he hasn't given you. 
and you write yourself a permission slip to blame God instead of going, man, are there things in my life, decisions that I could have made that could have made things turn out a little bit different than you? That's why in the Ten Commandments we're told don't envy, don't covet, because it is a community killer. You can't enjoy hanging out with the friends you are having in your life because you have this fear of missing out from the friends you actually want to be a part of. And social media only amplifies this because you go home and your night wasn't as exciting as their night and your vacation wasn't as nice as their vacation. It must be nice. Well, if I had a, and if I grew up with a, and if my parents had a, an envy, puts up a wall. And the isolation leaves you vulnerable to crocodiles. And so when you have to cross the river, you're going to cross the river alone. Envy makes you frustrated by people who haven't done anything to you. It pushes people away from you because they're tired of you being so bitter at the way your life has turned out. And it creates isolation. Second enemy of community is Ecclesiastes 4 or 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. If the first one is envy, the second one is laziness. A fool is someone who folds their hands and doesn't do the work. These are lazy people. One of the community killers is lazy people because if you don't feel like it, you don't do it. If you don't want to do it, it doesn't happen. You expect everything to come to you instead of you having to go for it. You are an idol unto yourself and you're making yourself a God and then you want the world and God to worship you instead of you serving God and others. And laziness is the fast lane to loneliness. If you don't want to serve, I'm not serving today. You want to go to church today? Oh, I don't feel like it. You gonna go help out as we do this cool thing? No, I'm just not in the mood. Hey, you gonna get up and go to work? Oh man, my back's been. And you just figure out every way to get out of doing things that you don't want to do. And then one day you're gonna wake up and nobody wants to worship you anymore. And then you call yourself a victim. And you start blaming everybody else. You gotta be careful. One of these days you're gonna want friends in your circle, but you're not gonna have spent any time doing things that they wanna do, only the things that you wanna do. You're not gonna have worked hard to have a little bit of money to actually go and take some time off and hang out with your friends or go do something fun with your friends because you're lazy behind, just stayed at home. And if you keep worshiping yourself, pretty soon all you will have is yourself. That's it. Okay, uh, devotional thought. Today, all of our locations, give a gift to your future in-laws. Make your kids do a job today. Don't raise lazy kids because they will marry somebody and then whoever they marry is gonna have to work two jobs so they can game. Don't, okay, if you're not married, don't marry a lazy person, don't. You will work yourself to the bone and it will never be enough because they will always have a reason why they can't. Go home, make your kids take out the trash, make them pull two weeds, make, 
I don't know, find something. Obviously, I need to come up with some plans because I didn't have many illustrations there. Uh, I feel sorry for my kids. They're in church just learning about Jesus and have no clue who's coming home today, okay? Just don't, don't, raise, don't raise lazy people. Don't be lazy because it's a community killer because nobody likes a lazy friend. And if you're like, man, I feel like I don't have any friends, that might, you know, maybe you worship you. Okay, next one, Ecclesiastes 4, 6 through 8. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. This is the opposite of laziness. This is greed. This is the person who it is never, ever enough. This is the person who is always sacrificing their relationships for things. And no matter how much they get, it's never enough. You will have all the stuff in the world, but you will have no one to share it with. You will choose work over your wife, over your kids, over your family, and when you die, you will die earlier than expected, and you will die alone. And the man in Solomon's story, uh, he comes to the realization way too late, I've spent my whole life accumulating, but accumulating for who? We all know this, I'm not saying anything brand new, but the people in your life would rather have your presence than your resources. I preached a, a version of this message to our collective age ministry here at our 48th Street campus uh, in the last couple of months. I can't remember exactly when, it's been a bit of a blur. And I just asked this question in the room to these young kids, broke kids, you know, kids with student loan debt and all that stuff. I said, which would you rather have, $1,000 or a week away with your grandparents? What do you think they chose? I said, a thousand bucks or a long weekend with your parents. You know what they chose? Yeah, they chose the long weekend. They would rather have you than your stuff. We know this, but we don't stop doing the behavior that's driving it. Stop making work and possession and excuses. Envy and laziness and greed create loneliness. And one of these days, you are going to have to cross a river. And if you are not in community, you're vulnerable. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he, he gets the upper hand when it's just you. So you need community. So Solomon turns to the benefits of community. The first one is synergy. Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. We all know this to be true that you can get way more done when you have somebody helping you. Uh, ladies, you can go home this weekend and you can try and clean the whole house all by yourself. It'll take you all day, your back will hurt, and you'll, your nails will get cracked, and you'll be super frustrated. If you were to take one hour and have everybody in the house help you out, you'd actually get the whole thing done. It would be like 80% of the way you would do it if it was you, but you'd have the whole rest of the day to actually hang out with your family and your friends and build a little bit of community, you psychos. It would help you out. If you were to go and paint your house this weekend, are you gonna get more done if you paint it by yourself or if you have some people come over to help you? The only time it seems like people wanna pay attention to community is when it's time for them to move and then all of a sudden everybody's their friend, right? Like, hey man, you wanna, what are you doing this weekend? Friend, buddy, bro, dude? If you don't know my name, I'm not coming, 
okay? Yeah. How many of you, you're like always the phone call when it comes to help somebody move, and you're like, I didn't even know we were friends. That's why I don't drive a truck anymore. I want it off that list. I was like, I'm out. You carry that dresser yourself. We've never hung up. I'm tired of moving you, right? What happens is as soon as it comes time to move, you're like, I can't carry this dresser by myself. I should have a friend. And it's too late because you got to move on Saturday. And I'm, I'm busy, real busy, busy sleeping. Okay. <laughs> when, 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 when you are in community, you can get more done. And if we want to do the great things of God, it's not going to be done by ourselves. It's going to be done in community where we link arms and we accomplish greater things on God's behalf. And if there's this thing inside of you that wants to accomplish the great things of God, you're going to have to do those great things in the context of community. Ecclesiastes 4.10, he says this. Here's another benefit. Uh, the next one is care. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. This is the Mr. T verse in the Bible. But pity the fool who falls and has no one to help them up. When you are in community, you get better care. You are there for them and they are there for you. That's why you're not supposed to swim alone. That's why you're not supposed to ride, ride mountain bikes uh, on trails alone. That's why you're not supposed to ride horses alone. That's why you're not supposed to ride ATVs alone because if something bad happens, you wanna have somebody there to help you and you can go further and you can do more daring things when you have somebody with you. But pity people who try to live life alone. We know that this world is a scary and dangerous place at times, and there are people all around us who are doing things, maybe well-intentioned, good, godly things, but they're falling down, and there's nobody, nobody to pick them up. Ecclesiastes 4.11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Just go home today, turn the AC down to 60 at about 7 o'clock at night, fellas. Just get that house real cold to like ice is hanging off the ceiling fans. And be like, sweetie, you're cold. You want to warm up? <laughs> it won't work, but you'll at least remember the sermon, okay? <laughs> it won't. You get comfort. Life is better and more comfortable in community. Which is better? Grieving alone or grieving with people around you, even when they don't say anything? Which is better, celebrating a success alone or celebrating it in community? Someone to share in your sorrow and minister to your heart. Somebody that you can be vulnerable about the highs and lows of your life and have them hold you up and lift you up and provide the comfort and the care that you need because when the world gets cold, there's someone to keep you warm. Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The fourth benefit is strength. You get synergy, you get comfort, you get care, and you get strength. Think through the thing that you're struggling with in your life and knowing that you would have somebody else in your community to advocate for you, to defend you, to keep you safe, to pull you 
through. Every single one of us are gonna need the strength that comes from community. When you are crossing the river and the crocodile bites, you have energy and synergy to pull you through because people are locked arms inside of you. And then when they get to the other side, they kill the alligator or the crocodile on your behalf. You get strength from community. But check this out. It is the area of your life where you are not in community where you will be broken. The area of your life that you section off from your community is where the crocodile will strike. It is where Satan will lay his trap. Community is where you get strength and courage and all of us are gonna have something happen to us and you are gonna need people around you to help you get through. We have an enemy who is trying to steal and kill and destroy us and when we don't get in community, we will be vulnerable. And it is not just gonna impact you, it is gonna impact the very people that are depending on you. To be the husband, father, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, boss, coworker, friend, neighbor that they need to point them to Jesus. And when you are not in community, you can't be what they need. I wanna circle back to this. You will never grow to your fullest potential in Jesus or live the full life that God desires for you outside of community. It won't happen. Now, there's some of you right now who are going, man, this is great, and like Jesus is my community, and I love him. And some of you are going, and I, you know, and I'm, I just need you to hear me say this, uh, he's not enough. Okay, I get it. Well, then I'll take his dad, okay? I also have God. I just need you to hear me say this, uh, he's not enough. I know that because that's what God says. After he had finished making all the animals, he makes man. So that means your dog's not enough. Because after he made Adam, God said, it is not good for man to be, what's the next word? Alone. If you think that just you and God and Jesus is gonna help you live the life that God designed for you, I need you to know you were created for community. Godly, authentic community. I'm, I'm not just talking about people to help you change your tire uh, late at night or people to help you move your dresser down the stairs. I'm talking about people that are in your life, that speak into your life, that hold you accountable to things and behaviors that point out blind spots in your life. And they come to you and they stab you in the front and they say, hey, this behavior, I don't think it's good for you. And you want to get mad at them and you go home and you tell your wife what they just told you and you're like, this guy's an idiot for even thinking that. And she's like, actually, I think he's probably brilliant because I've been trying to say that for years. Then she calls up your friends like, hey, thanks for taking one for the team. You need people in your life because if you don't get that blind spot pointed out in your life, you're going to keep running over people for your entire life. And it'll make it even harder for you to be in community. You have to have people around you, good godly influences that you can partner with to accomplish the things of God and protect you from the things of Satan. So, if you are watching online, I need you to, I need you to hear me. Uh, we love you. We're big fans. Uh, we spend a lot of money uh, to resource you, and I get excited every single week when I get the report of how many of you guys are joining us online from all over the place, and it makes my heart so incredibly happy. But I need you to know this. It, um, 
Watching us online is not enough. It's not community. Uh, you may not be able to get to our services because you're sick or because you're traveling, and I'm thankful for people who are able to leverage our online uh, platform in those moments, but if you're just choosing not to go to church uh, because online's easier, I need you to know you're vulnerable. And if you are a part of our church but you don't live in an area where we have one of our locations, I want you to reach out to us. You can email me, and our team will work hard to help you find a good, godly church that you can participate in and be in community. Because watching online is gonna leave you vulnerable. And I know that you're going, man, uh, I'll find some other place to watch online. And if they love you, they will tell you the exact same thing. You need community if you are gonna be all that God desires for you to be and if you are going to experience everything that God has in store for you. And I know there are some of you watching right now at all of our different locations, you're like, whoo, glad I came to church today. Okay, well, remember I love you. If you think that showing up after the first song of worship and leaving after communion is you being a part of community, Satan's lying to you. There's a big difference between showing up for a building and being part of the brotherhood. There's a big difference from being in the sanctuary to being a part of the sisterhood. There's a big part between being in the facility and being a part of the family of God where you participate in what God is doing and you link arms with other people and when you see them here, you do life outside of here with them and you serve alongside of them and you're in a life group with them or a D group with them and you participate in God shaping you through that community so that you can be all that he created you to be and experience all that he desires for you to experience because you were made for community because you can't be what God wants you to be by yourself. This world needs a picture of Jesus and the picture of Jesus is made up of the body of Christ which is the members of the church which means if you think that you can just do you on behalf of God to this watching world, what you're saying is, is that you think that you comprise all of the benefits of Christ in yourself, that you are the physical manifestation of Jesus on this earth by yourself, and that is blasphemy. It is only when you participate in the body of Christ that we become the hands and feet of Jesus. It doesn't need an imitation in you, it needs a representation of him through the body. And every single one of us have to participate in that. Because if you want to experience all that God has, you will experience it in community because the body of Christ will minister to you. The different gifts will bless you. But all the gifts that God has don't come from one person. They come from multiple people. It is when you are in relationship. We cannot be what this world needs us to be in isolation, nor can we survive this world in isolation. Every single one of you, are gonna have to cross a river. If you cross in a crowd, the crocodile won't eat you. We're moving to a time of decision. Some of you here for the first time, you'd have loved it last week, okay? It was a fun one, we all had a good time, we went home, a lot of high fives, it was great. This one's a little bit tougher, but I'm coming to you strong because I care about you. should have said this when I was, okay. I need you to know this about me. 
Uh, and you need to know this about Jerry and anybody else who speaks on our stage. When I talk about, uh, you know, getting in community, or when I talk about, you know, not, don't just watch online, I'm not trying to pad numbers. I'm not trying to just have a good weekend of attendance. Uh, when I say those things, I'm saying those things for your good. I believe in the counsel of Scripture. I believe in the authority of God's Word, and I believe that it is good for you. And so I will proudly and boldly proclaim it. And you can leave here today and be going, man, you know, who didn't give Clayton Wheaties this morning? Or, you know, who did? I'm just telling you, um, my heart was broken this week as I wrote this message because I wrote this message with names on my mind. People that were doing great things for God. People that at one point in time I couldn't fathom not being a part of the ministry that God was doing at this church. People that blessed people and ministered to people, people who had talents that far surpassed my own, that I was envious of their ability to do great things for God, and then they stepped out of community, and then they stepped out of effectiveness, and then they stepped out of faith. There's tombstones with this sermon. People who have become spiritually dead and I don't want that for you. I have never seen anybody grow in Christ in isolation. And so I'm coming to you saying, Satan is trying to steal, he is trying to kill, he is trying to destroy, and if you walk in isolation, you are easy prey. But when you step into a body, you have protection, and you have counsel, and you have wisdom, do you know that in all of scripture, everything was written through the lens of community? Do you know how you help out the poor? Well, you're in community with the poor, so you know exactly what they need. And a need could never be unmet if you loved somebody. Because when you're in proximity with somebody who's down and out, you couldn't help but take what you have and help them get through the next lot in life. When you needed help on your house or when you needed help going through a death, when you needed help with some of the trials, you had people around you that would never let you go. The church was supposed to be the original safety net because you're in community and you knew exactly what they needed and exactly how you could help. But when we partition ourselves off and we put fences around our yards and we put barriers in our schedule to where all we do is show up and sing and listen, Satan convinces you that you're doing what God called you to do. And what's really happening is you're just in isolation. You just don't know it. So hear me. If you're here today and you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do so because not only when you get baptized are you united with Christ, you're united with his church a global band of brothers and sisters who are there for you and will love you and protect you and care for you. You could call me in any city on planet Earth and there is a pastor that would come and change your tire in the middle of the night. You become a part of the family of God, the family of God that has done more good than any organization ever since the beginning of time. You become a part of something great and beautiful and magnificent and it is waiting for you because it is not complete until you're a part of it. And if you're interested in starting that relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what this church is all about. And we would love to root for you and celebrate with you today as you make that step. 
in just a few moments when everybody else around you stands, I'd love to encourage you to go over by the baptistry, which is right over there, and talk to somebody about starting that relationship with Jesus. To the rest of you in the room, the Christians, serious question, are you in community? Real community. And don't say your fantasy football league's your community. And don't say your dart buddies are your community and your golf bros. That's part of what you might do as community, but that is not your community. If you're not in community, I want you to seriously think hard about what do you need to do to get there. As couples, do you need to carve out a night and say, you know what, it's friend time. We need to have some people over and invest in them spiritually and have them invest in us. This matters. Some of you here might be going, man, you know, who's going to give me all the friends that I want? Well, uh, listen, a Christian uh, would be asking a different question. Who are the people that I can invest in? Instead of trying to receive first, give first. Who are the people that I can make an investment in? Would you be willing to just come up here, get down on your knees and say, God, uh, what does community need to look like for me? What changes do I need to make? Because my fear is if you don't, our hearts will become just a little bit more calloused and we'll become just a little bit more alone. And when you have to, when you have to cross the river, don't be surprised if you get bit. Would you stand with me? God, I'm, I'm in love with this church. Deep down in my bones, oh, I love them. And I cannot fathom how much you love them. And God, I pray that you wouldn't abandon any part of this message, that you would work with your spirit to solidify the things that need to be solidified in every single heart. God, help every single person to make a decision a decision that honors you, that glorifies you, and that draws them closer to you and to the people around them. In your name I pray, amen.